Good, great, awesome, wonderful, 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 wonderful. Um, if you have your Bibles, open them up to Luke chapter 14. If you have a Bible app on your phone, you could pull it up. Remember, we don't have slides. We don't have a big screen up here. For those of you watching online, uh, get your Bible handy. We don't have slides that we'll be cutting to. It's just going to be me. So we look down at your Bible, make some notes, be ready for that. Before we get into it, I'm going to ask Addie, Miss Addie, who joined me this every Thursday morning. We have prayer at the office at 9 a.m. It was me and Addie this, this past week, and I said, Addie, would you, would you join me in praying for our time in the Word? She doesn't know what I'm preaching on. I didn't want to tell her. Just whatever she feels like to pray for. Thanks, Miss Addie. Oh, Father God, we come to you this morning with a spirit of joy, joy that we can be together. And Father God, we thank you for this beautiful day that you've given us. And we praise your holy name because you're an awesome God. And Father God, we ask in a spirit of unity and we repent, Father God, for anything that we've done that's not of you, Father God. And Father God, we ask for more more love. May we show more love to each other. May we show more love to the world because you are love and you're known as love and they will know us by our love. We who are called by your name, we must set an example for the rest of the world. We must be that light. So I ask today, Father God, that you stir us up, gird us up, cover those chinks in our armor for you know we, are, we fight not against flesh and blood. Ephesians 6.11, Father God, I ask that you help us to reflect you because we want to be true Christians, which is Christ-like. And I, again, I thank you for allowing us to be here. We thank the um, Summers for allowing us to use their farm. And we ask, Father God, that whatever word comes forth today, Father God, may it be implanted deeply into our hearts, Father God, and may we do as we're asked to do according to your will. Not our will be done, but your will, Father God, for you're an awesome God. And we yield ourselves today, Father God, to you, the only true God. Hallelujah. And we thank you, Father God, for what you're doing in each and every one of us, Father God. May we go out, each one, reach one, help somebody. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, and amen. Thank you, Addie. <clears throat> hey, just a heads up. When I'm cold, I talk really fast. Bear with me. Try to keep up. Um, Luke chapter 14, we're going to be picking up with the parables of the kingdom, how Jesus shatters our long-held Christian ideas and beliefs. This is a series about uh, the parables that Jesus told that uh, on one hand... They were meant to help us understand spiritual truths. They were illustrations and stories about everyday situations to help us understand deeper spiritual truths. But on the other hand, they were also meant to challenge Jesus' listeners' expectations about what the kingdom of God was all about, about what God's heart was all about. They had wrong misconceptions about it, and Jesus was telling these parables to 
shatter those expectations and shatter those misconceptions. And he still does that. Those parables still do that to you and I living in America. Our expectations of how God works, our expectations of how the kingdom of God operates. Uh, sometimes these parables are going to be offensive to us, right? Sometimes they're actually going to challenge things that we've been taught in church circles and church bubbles. They're going to challenge that. Um, the first week, I got an email. Uh, you know, so that's what these are about. Um, the first week, we talked about how it's not enough to just believe the right things about Jesus you, without treasuring him. Believing the right things in our heads doesn't get us into God's kingdom, right? He told the parable of the treasure hidden in the field. That was the idea from the first week. Last week, we talked about the, the parable of the four soils and how some people who hear the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, his victory over sin and death, they hear that good news and they don't receive it as good news. It's not good news to them because they don't understand the bad news. I don't need a Savior. I don't need somebody who died for me. I don't need a Lord. So it goes in one ear, out the other ear. But more than that, many of those who hear it and receive it with joy and say, yes, Jesus, yes, I'm with you, end up falling away, walking away, saying, you know what, never mind, that didn't work for me. I tried that for a little bit, but I had too many troubles that I thought Jesus was going to prevent, and he didn't, so I'm out. And more than that, many of us who say, I love Jesus, and I want to worship him, and can we do some more songs? are also so preoccupied by the worries and cares of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, Jesus called it, that our spiritual maturity, our joy in Jesus is being choked out, strangled by those worries and cares. That was last week. Today we're going to talk about the danger of living successful, busy lives. The danger of living successful, busy lives. We're going to be in Luke chapter 14. If you have your Bibles, now I'm good. So this parable is the parable of the great banquet. And Jesus tells this parable to a group of people who were caught up, preoccupied by just what we would call living, successful, mundane, American dream kind of lives. Okay, I'm going to set the scene a bit. We have to understand why Jesus told this parable. So Jesus was in invited to a party by a Pharisee. Pharisees were an elite sect of, of Jews, Jews who knew this Torah. They knew the scriptures. They knew the law of Moses inside and out. Uh, they, were, they were held in high esteem by the rest of the Jews. So this Pharisee is throwing a party. He invites Jesus. Jesus was kind of his guest of honor. Jesus was popular. You know, you get somebody who's popular, you invite them over, and it kind of boosts your popularity a bit. So this Pharisee invites Jesus over, um, and Jesus starts to notice things about these people and this party. And he starts to bring some challenges to them. First, he notices that outside the house is a man with swelling in his body, a man with dropsy, a man who was not invited into the party, was in need, and everybody's walking past that guy, going into the party. And so Jesus does what Jesus did, which was he healed the guy. He sees a guy who in need of healing, and he heals the guy. The problem with this healing is that it was the Sabbath day. 
Jesus was not supposed to heal on the Sabbath, at least in the eyes of the Pharisees. Because the Pharisees, they didn't just know the law of Moses. They added extra t- traditions to the, to the law to prevent people from disobeying the law. So in other words, God's law said, observe the Sabbath day. The Pharisees said, well, what does it mean to observe the, Phar- the Sabbath day? We're going to come up with a list of steps that you can take on the Sabbath day. We're going to come up with a, a, a certain weight that you're not allowed to carry on the Sabbath day. One of the things you couldn't do is heal somebody on the Sabbath day. Jesus knew that, and he was like, I'm going to heal him anyway. So he healed this guy outside the party. Luke chapter 14, in the beginning, it says that these guys were, they were just silent. They didn't say anything. But Jesus knew what they were thinking. So he says, which of you guys, if you had an oxen that fell into a ditch, which of you guys would, would not pick that oxen out of the ditch because it was the Sabbath day? Of course you would. And how much more would God see somebody in need of healing, want to bring healing to that person? Okay, that was the first challenge. You, you would save your oxen, and yet you, want, you just walk right past this guy. And you don't want me healing this guy. You, that shows you don't understand God's heart. Now, Jesus wasn't done. Gets inside the party, and he sees all these guests vying for positions of honor, trying to get the best seat, trying to sit up close, right? Trying to, you know, they're they're thinking about their reputations. And Jesus brings a second challenge. And he says, basically, he's going back to the Jewish scriptures, and he's saying, don't you all know that those who exalt themselves, try to get to the the front, are going to end up being humbled? But those who humble themselves and go, you know what, I'm, I'm going to sit in the back. And if the, if, the, if the host wants to invite me to the front, he'll invite me to the front. Th- those who humble themselves will be exalted. So that's the second challenge. You guys are all trying to impress each other and, and boost your popularity. That shows you don't understand how exaltation in God's kingdom happens. So two challenges right off the bat. You walking past this guy on the outside who, who needs healing. Show you don't understand God's heart. You trying to vie for positions of honor inside this party. Shows you don't understand how God's kingdom operates. But he's not done. He's not done. Then he turns to the host. And this is where we'll pick it up. In verse 12 of Luke chapter 14. This is where we'll start. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back. They might invite you back. You don't want that. They might invite you back, and so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. He's like, watch out. Don't invite your friends. Don't invite your family. Don't invite your relatives. Because they're going to repay you. They're going to invite you back to their party, and you don't want that. You would much rather be rewarded at the resurrection of the righteous. It's a better reward. How do you get that reward, he says? Well... You invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. You invite those who, and remember, he's talking to all these people who are trying to impress each other at this party. He's like, you invite those who you didn't invite to this party. 
You invite those who you guys don't see as contributors to society. You invite those, let's face it, who you see as losers because they're not able to keep a job in this first century society. They're on the outside. They're not going to boost your popularity. They're not going to make you look good. Invite them. Those are the ones you should be inviting. Now, as you would imagine, Jesus' audience didn't like hearing that. I would imagine that they are sitting around the table and somebody is like, what is this guy? Who invited this guy? Like, why is he just railing on us here? So somebody speaks up and he says, verse 15, when one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Now, I think what he's trying to do is change the subject. He's like, okay, this is awkward. Anyway, you know, speaking of banquets and luncheons, isn't it going to be great when God's kingdom comes in its fullest and we all get to eat at the feast, right? He, he tries to just bring up a Bible verse, a, a theology topic, right? Just to change the subject because it's getting a little awkward because Jesus is, is trying to show them that, that who you invited to this party is an indicator of whether or not you truly understand how God's kingdom works. So Jesus uses that as an opportunity to go, oh, you want to talk about the great feast. Okay, let's do it. And that's where he launches into his final challenge in the form of a parable. So verse 16 is where he begins the parable. He says this, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. So Jesus is like, okay, guys, throw on a banquet, throws a big party, lots of food, right? Everything you would want to see at a party, he's throwing it, and he sends his servant out. I got a, I got a guest list. Go, go invite these people, okay? Verse 18, but they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. So everybody on the guest list who's getting invited start to give out their excuses. And now notice a few things about these excuses. First of all, these guys aren't like doing evil things. Their, their, their excuse isn't, I'm cooking meth in my basement so I can't come, right? It, 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 it's, 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 I'm busy with the everyday, mundane, just ordinary things of life. I've got a field to tend to. It's a possession. I've got, I've got oxen. That's my business. I've got one other person that just got married, right? He's like, I can't come now. Like, won't go over well with the missus if I skip out on the honeymoon. That's important. Also notice, they're not against the owner or the, the host of the banquet. They're not saying, man, I don't like that guy, or we're on the outs, or we're not talking anymore. No, 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 no. There's no, there's no, you know, there's no um, uh, bad blood there between them. It's just that they're busy with the everyday affairs of life. Now, you and I would probably say that that's legitimate. You can't go to a party because you've got a field, you've got house to tend to, you got you got your business to tend to, you just got married, of course. You can say no to something like that. 
But apparently the host of the banquet did not think this was a legitimate list of excuses. Look at verse 21. The servant came back and reported this to the master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Does that sound familiar? Remember Jesus earlier said to the host of the party, when you throw a party, invite the crippled, the poor, the blind, and the lame. Now he's showing up in this parable. Verse 22. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. Verse 23. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. So the master's angry, and he says to his servant, okay, they don't want to come? Go get those who rest of society are deemed as losers because they got nothing else going on. They got nothing else to contribute. Go get them and bring them into the party. And the guy does, and the master of the house is like, still room. Go get more. Go farther. Go to the highways and the byways. Go down in the ditches. Go under the bridges. Go get more. Grab anybody you can and fill this place up. But those who were invited first, they ain't going to get a taste of it. They're going to miss out. They're not going to be in the banquet. And that's the end of the parable. That's it. And Luke does not record anything else that happens at this banquet or at this party with the Pharisee. Jesus tells this parable. I imagine that everybody sitting around the table are like, okay, everybody just keep, keep quiet. Nobody, sh nobody say a word. This guy just keeps bringing on challenges. And they're just sitting there awkward, sitting there, souping, uh, sipping their, their soup, something like that. And Jesus just does a mic drop, and it's over. Now, remember, Jesus told this in response to the man who said, who tried to change the subject and said, hey, you know, gee whiz, isn't it going to be great when God's kingdom comes and we have our feast? And Jesus responds with this parable. So Jesus is telling, this parable represents that, that, that feast, God's kingdom. When the Messiah brings his kingdom in, in its fullest, the, the great banquet that the Old Testament prophets talked about, that's what Jesus is telling this parable about Jesus represents the servant going out bringing the invitation bringing the call to his father's banquet inviting people to come in the Jews were invited first they were the first to get the invite especially the Pharisees because they knew the scriptures they knew the law of Moses they should be the ones who most anticipated the Messiah's invitation and were waiting eagerly, waiting with humility for that invitation. The people who were throwing the party were the ones invited first. But Jesus was saying in the parable, many who were invited first are going to be too caught up, too preoccupied by the affairs of this life, too caught up throwing their own parties and trying to look good, trying to pat each other on the back and keep up with the Joneses, too busy with those things that they are actually going to miss out on that great banquet. 
they're going to be left outside the kingdom. But those who have nothing else going on, the poor, the blind, the crippled, those who are poor in spirit, those who are needy, and, this is important, recognize their neediness, recognize their spiritual neediness, they are going to say yes to Jesus' in, Jesus's invitation, and they're going to come running into the banquet, and they're going to drop everything to come in and to party. Guys like the one Jesus healed at the beginning of the chapter outside the party. Guys like him are going to be on the inside of the great banquet. Guys who are currently on the inside of this party are going to be left out. They're going to miss out because they were too busy throwing their own parties and trying to impress each other and trying to live successful lives. That's the point of the parable. Kind of sobering, isn't it? Few implications for us. I want to list four implications for us. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. If you're not taking notes, maybe consider taking notes. Number one, being busy with good things is dangerous. That's what Jesus is saying here. We can be too busy and too preoccupied with even good things. Consider again what the excuses were. I bought a field, I got oxen, and I just got married. Legitimate things, things that we would all say, man, they're important to tend to. You can't buy a house and get a leaky roof and not tend to it. You can't be running a business and not answer your phone. You can't get married. You're like, right, these are important things. We even spiritualize these things. God ordained marriage. Of course I have to focus on my family, right? I'll, there's an organization called that. Come on. They're good things. But when we elevate them too high, when we get too preoccupied by them, they can actually keep us away from enjoying Jesus, knowing Jesus, and ultimately Entering his kingdom. Now, don't hear me say these are bad things to own stuff and be running a business and work and family. Don't hear me say that. Don't walk out of here saying, Pastor Chris said that I don't have to focus on my marriage problems. <laughs> don't twist that. I'm not saying that God's saying that either. It, the danger is being too preoccupied by those things. Jared Wilson, in his book, The Storytelling God, points out that these are the kinds of things that we encourage our kids. We hope for our kids to be successful, right? Own property, get married, raise a family, isn't it? Those are the things we encourage our kids towards. We might celebrate, right? Christians will celebrate people who go on the mission field, dangerous places. We'll celebrate those people. We don't tend to want to want that for our kids, though. Right. We want our kids to live safe, successful lives. Just, just, just live ordinary American dream kind of life. But we'll celebrate like the Jim Elliott, if you know who he is, who's killed in 1956. You know, celebrate those missionaries. But for our kids, we try to talk them out of it. Hey, why don't you just be reasonable here? We want them to live safe, successful, happy lives. And yet Jesus is warning us in this parable this is what I'm seeing. Jesus is warning us here 
the stuff that we tend to want for our kids, get the good grades, be good at sports, do good, get into a good college, get a good job, get a family, that's the kind of stuff that could potentially, in the end, keep them out of God's kingdom. Because they can get too preoccupied by it, and we are the ones teaching them to be preoccupied by those things. Yikes. Remember week one, the treasure hidden in the field, if you were with us in week one? The kingdom of God is like treasure hidden in the field when a man found it. He sold everything he had to buy that field. He's like, this is worth it. This is worth giving everything up for. Well, in this parable, the kingdom of God represents the, the, the treasure, or, or the, the, the kingdom of God, which is represented by the banquet. That should be the treasure. But for the people who first got the invite, what did they treasure? My field, my oxen, my marriage. All that stuff was a bigger treasure than the kingdom of God. And Jesus is saying, it can't be both. You can't serve me and serve all those other things. You can't say, you know what, I'll take a rain check on that, Jesus. When I get my business up to a successful point, then I'll come back to you. Then I'll come back to serving you. And this brings us back to the man who was healed by Jesus at the beginning of the chapter. He had nothing to offer. He had nothing better going on. He was banged up. He was crippled. He was in need. He recognized his neediness. So he, guys like him are going to come running into God's kingdom. Guys like him are going to come running into God's kingdom. But those who have a lot going on. Those who are busy, those whose calendars are filled up, those who are caught up accumulating and comparing and renovating and impressing, they're the ones who will tend to miss out on Jesus' kingdom. And this is why Jesus said, when you host parties, invite those who can't repay you. Because when you do that, when you do that, listen, listen, listen. When you do that, it shows that you understand how God's kingdom operates. It mirrors how God's kingdom operates. It, it, it shows that you understand that God specializes in coming after the broken, the sinners, the needy. It shows that you understand God chooses liabilities. Yeah. He doesn't come after assets. He comes after liabilities. He came after me, not because he looked at me and said, you know what, Chris has a lot going on. He's, he's very talented and skilled. I think I could use him on my team. So guy, he didn't come after me for that reason. He came after me because like, he's a broken guy, and he's messed up, and he's got a lot of issues, and he's sinful. I'm going to make him an object of my grace. I'm going to make him an object of my mercy. So that the world and the, the spiritual realm goes, wow, look at what God can do. Look at God's grace. He, he loves to choose liabilities. He doesn't come after assets. He didn't come after Justin because he's such a good-looking guy. And he makes Christianity look so good. No way. He comes after liabilities. And so when Jesus said to the host, invite those who can't repay you, it shows that's an indicator that you understand that that's what God did for you. That he invited you because you can't repay him. 
You can't, you can't nothing to bargain with. Love this quote by Jared Wilson. He says, the father brings the poor and the lame and the crippled to the feast to make his gospel, his good news, look very, very big. And he knows that the poor and the lame and the crippled will be more impressed with a feast anyway. I love that quote. The poor, the lame, the crippled will be more impressed with a feast anyway. But those who are busy living successful American dream lives, well, they got their own parties that they're trying to throw. So may we be careful. May we be careful. That's number one. Number two, if you're taking notes. If you're not taking notes, maybe think about taking notes. Number two, it's not enough that Jesus invites you. You've got to respond. Right? People on the guest list, they were invited. They didn't respond. And at the end, what did he say? They're not going to get a taste of my banquet. We've got to respond. You have to respond to his call. Jesus' invitation to us all. Hey, his, his, he casts a wide net. Anybody, it doesn't matter your religious background, doesn't matter your ethnicity, anybody. doesn't matter how, how much you've screwed up in the past. Anybody's invited to my banquet. doesn't matter how broken, how poor, how crippled you are. Physically or spiritually, it don't matter. You're invited in. But we've got to respond to that call and say, yeah, I want in. I'm not too busy. I will drop whatever. I, that's a better place to be than what I'm preoccupied by. So I want to encourage anyone here today who's never responded to that invitation. Maybe you grew up in church hearing these things. You know the stories. You have all the Bible answers, but you've never responded to that invitation to say, yes, Jesus, I want to give you my life. I want to surrender my life to you, Jesus. Be my Lord and my Savior. I believe you died and rose again for me. You purchased new life for me. I want in your kingdom. I want to be at that feast. If that's you, I want to encourage you. We're going to have a prayer team down side there and side there. Come, come receive. I have no hands left. I want to encourage you to come talk to one of them and just say, hey, I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. And they'll pray with you. And, and they'll, they'll encourage you to get baptized. Baptism is, is our formal yes. It's the Bible says baptism is our formal yes. It's our way of saying, yes, Jesus, I'm in. My life is yours. You purchased new life for me. I want you to live your life through me. I want to be in your banquet. That's number two. We've got to respond if you haven't done that. Do it today. If you're watching online, click on the Get Connected form. We'll follow up with you. Just say, I want to start following Jesus today. We'll, we'll call you. All right, number three, if you're taking notes. If you're not taking notes. <laughs> number three, whatever is lost now. Whatever is lost now. Because you decide to follow Jesus, because you drop everything to run to him, because you put your uh, oh-so-busy, successful life on the back burner to know and serve Jesus and run towards him, 
Whatever is lost now will be made up for at the great banquet when God's kingdom comes in full. It's that good. That's why it's called a banquet. That's why Jesus said that the kingdom of God is like a banquet. It's not like some shabby, you know, whatever. It's, it's a banquet. It's going to be great. It's a party. It's a celebration. It's a place of joy and pleasure. Living for Jesus now is not just about, oh, I just got to sacrifice to do the right thing. It's about investing in your ultimate pleasure, your ultimate joy. C.S. Lewis has this wonderful quote. I love it. It's famous. You guys have probably heard me use it before. He says this, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Like a child who says, no, I don't want to go to the holiday at the sea because he has no idea what it's about. I'm just going to stay making mud pies in a slum. That's what we do. That's what these guys did when they were first invited. No, 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 no. I, I got my field. I got my oxen. I got my marriage. No, 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 no. They don't get it. There's a banquet waiting for you. That's what Jesus has for us. That's what he invites us into. It's so much better. That's what we have to look forward to. So whatever is lost now in following Jesus, it's going to be made up for then. We're not losing. We're not losing. The missionary Jim Elliott, who I referenced earlier, he, he went to a tribe where he was, he was, him and his friends were, killed they were murdered um in 1956 by this tribe who they went to bring the gospel to before he went he was being told not to go it's too dangerous plus christians in america need you here they need you to preach the gospel to them as well and he wrote this in his his journal he said consider the call from the throne above go ye i dare not stay home so what if the well-fed church in the homeland needs stirring they have the scriptures, Moses and the prophets, and a whole lot more. Their condemnation is written on their bank books and in the dust on their Bible covers. American believers have sold their lives to the service of mammon, and God has his rightful way of dealing with those who succumb to the spirit of Laodicea. Laodicea is a reference to a church talked about in Revelation that was kind of lukewarm. He's saying... The believers in America, they've, they've got the Bible. They've got the Bible that they're ignoring and they're, dis they're distracted by all their, their wealth and their pursuit of happiness. He said they've, they've, they've heard this before and they don't really want it. They're rejecting it. They're too busy living their successful American dream lives. I want to go to the people who haven't heard this before. I want to go farther to the highways and the byways and under the bridges. I want to get to, to this gospel to the people who have yet to hear it, those who are poor in spirit, those who are needy. Because he believed, he believed, and this is another quote of him, that he is no fool who risks what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who risks what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That great banquet... 
it's worth so much more than whatever we lose as we serve and run after Jesus. And lastly, number four, the fourth implication. This is primarily to parents. I just feel like just want to give a word to parents. Raise your hand if you're a parent. I'm not trying to leave out those who aren't parents, but just, just bear with me for this one. Okay. Fourth implication that I see here is that we need to be careful what we teach our kids to treasure. What are we teaching our kids to treasure? Not by what we say, okay? If you call yourself a Christian and you go to church, you probably say the right things. But when they look at your life, what are we teaching them to treasure? Are we teaching them that the ultimate, the most important thing, the most important treasure is to get those good grades and be good at sports and get into a good college and live that successful life? Oh, and are you going to get married? And oh, is there a special someone? Oh, and when are you going to have kids? And just to follow that little pattern. Are we teaching them that that's the most important things? Is that what they see when they look at us? Is that what we talk about the most and we're reminding them about? What are they seeing? How about who we spend our time with? Do they see us only spending time with people that we like? Are we, are we only inviting people to Thanksgiving who is going to invite us to Christmas? What did Jesus say at the beginning of the chapter? This, this is Jesus' words, y'all. This ain't me. Look at verse 12 to 14 again of chapter 14. Jesus said to the host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, because they can't repay you and you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Now, was Jesus saying never to invite your, your relatives and your brothers and sisters and your friends? I hope you get that he's, He's exaggerating to make a point, but the point is, is that all you're spending your time with? The people who you like? The people who you connect with and click with? We have this saying in church circles, I know I'm supposed to love everybody, but I don't have to like everybody. That's not in the Bible. That's not in the Bible. We just say that and we hear it from each other, so we keep repeating it. It's not in the Bible. It's not a biblical thing to only hang out with the people who we like and connect with, who can repay us. To only give Christmas presents to the people who are going to give Christmas presents back to us. I'm just raising some questions here. I'm not saying that there's a formula to it. But like, who do you give your Christmas presents to? What the most of the money for Christmas, where does that go? Is it, is it mostly going towards giving gifts to people who are going to give Christmas presents back to you and then whatever's left over will give to the poor and needy? Or is it the opposite? I'll give most of it to the poor and needy and if I have anything left over, I'll give something to my, to my relatives who I'm going to see on Christmas morning. Just raising the question. Just raising the question we can be praying uh, before the holiday season. I know some of you are like, but Pastor Chris, if I don't show up on Christmas morning with Christmas presents, I'm going to be pretty embarrassed. I think that's partly Jesus' point here. What are you living for? Is it the temporary, the here and now, the, 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 the pats on the back, keeping up your family traditions? Is that what we're showing our kids is most important? Just raising the questions. If we truly belong to Jesus, if we truly have responded to his call, if we truly understand that his great feast is so much better than whatever we're preoccupied by in the moment, 
the natural overflow of that is going gonna, gonna to affect who we spend our time with. It's going to affect what we put our time into, where we give our resources to. So those are four implications. We're going to have a response time now, which we do at all the end of our services, our in-person services. So I'm going to call the band up, and I'm going to call a prayer team down front with their, with their masks. You guys can be on, on maybe towards the side instead of being on the front this time, just so you guys can hear, maybe on the side, a couple people on the side. So listen, we're gonna, this is a response time. This is part of service. This is, this is an extension of the sermon even, I would say. So don't just kind of walk out and use this as a chance to, you know, check out. This is a time when God's word's been preached, but now we need the Holy Spirit to kind of stir us up a little bit, move in our hearts, show us, you know, I want you to focus on this or highlight this. So can we stand? So first of all, those four things, just ask, while we're singing, ask the Lord, like, hey, God, show me if there's any one of these that I just need to kind of lean into a little bit more here. Have I responded to your call? Have I said yes? Have I given you my life? And if that's you, again, I would encourage you to come talk to one of our prayer team members let them pray with you that's a that's a step that's a moment that's that's you saying yes i would also encourage you if you feel like you're in the poor and needy category the crippled right maybe physically maybe mentally maybe spiritually you're in a broken place come forward let these guys pray for you for healing god's healer he loves to give appetizers of his great banquet one day, right? His great banquet's going to be so amazing, and he loves to show up in the here and now and give us a touch, a hint, a foretaste of that future banquet with supernatural healing of our bodies, of our souls, of our minds, of our emotions. Some of us need to have a touch from him today, and I would encourage you to come be prayed, be prayed over by one of our, our prayer team members. Or maybe God's just talking to you about something, anything, that, that just Holy Spirit just brings something to mind and you feel like you need to unload, you need to receive prayer. Again, these guys are down here for that. But at the very least, as we're singing, at the very least, just have a heart that says, Lord, is there anything in here that I need to hear and focus on? Just let him talk to you, okay? If you do come forward for prayer, please wear a mask uh, for that. Let me pray. Jesus, you tell us these hard truths. You, you've told these parables that are a little uncomfortable at times because you love us and you want as many of us in your kingdom celebrating your great banquet with you as possible. That's why you tell these things. That's why you give these hard truths. 
You know that when we put too much weight on temporary treasures, we're going to end up disappointed. They're going to let us down. You want our treasure to be in you and your kingdom because that's permanent. It won't let us down. It's because you love us. So God, I, I pray that um, nobody leaves here feeling shamed or guilted into anything. But that we hear the invitation, we hear the call to put our treasure into what is most valuable. You. Knowing you. Having you as our Savior, our Lord. Pray in your name. Amen.